Thanks, y'all can have a seat. Uh, so glad to see y'all today. Welcome, Fellowship Asheville. I'm glad you're here, whether you're in person, uh, whether you're watching online, or as the case may be, listening to this later this week at some point. Uh, we're so glad to have you join in. Here's uh, what I have been praying for us today. Um, I've been praying for a very specific area for us as a church, uh, that as we go through God's Word, we will be able to identify a specific fear in our life. Maybe even something you didn't even consider putting that label on it, that label of fear. But I, I've been praying that we're able to do that and be able to lay that down and in its place pick up, pick up faith in Jesus. That's what I've been praying for us today. And so let's jump into our passage and let's see what I'm talking about. We're going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 through 37. Right? And as you're turning there, I want to remind everyone that we are going through the book of Mark. Right? We started, I don't even remember when we started, and we're going to go till who knows? Uh, I think Easter. Um, but you never know. We might, who knows? We, are, we extended it once. Why not extend it again? Don't think we will, but you never know. But we're in Mark chapter 9, and here's what we're seeing in the book of Mark. The first few chapters were this, this question that was implied in, in, in Mark, the, the one that the Holy Spirit used to write this book. Those first few chapters answered the question, who is Jesus? Right, And so you saw Jesus teaching uh, the crowds a lot. You saw him doing these incredible miracles as he was showing the people that he is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. This next section that we are in right now, the question that keeps getting asked is, what if? What if Jesus really is the Messiah? What does that mean? What is that, this kingdom that he's talking about? What Number one, what in the world is he talking about? Number two, what does that mean for me? And so you see Jesus transition from teaching a lot of, a lot of crowds to spending a lot more time with his disciples, not only with the 12, but those who have said yes to following him. And he keeps showing them this is what the kingdom of God is like. Well, today what we're going to see is we're going to see what it means to have less fear and more faith in Jesus. And less of those behaviors that are caused by fear. And what life can look like when faith in him is in their place. So let me see if I can help you identify a little fear here. All right? I want you to think back with me. <clears throat> For some of you, this will be a very recent memory. Uh, for some of us in here, it could be a little further back. Right? But I want you to think back to report card season. Right? How many of you remember getting report cards? How many of you remember getting this? Because this, this, this fear that I'm going to talk about right now has a couple, of different letters, a couple of different levels. How many of you remember getting the report card and being a little bit fearful to open it up? Or in this case, click the email, right? Yeah. If that's the case, then this second level of fear has kicked in. Because you had to get your parents to sign it. Right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you ever forged your signature's parents, your parents' signature, but I'll tell you it doesn't work. Apparently, a fourth grader is not as good as a forger as he thinks he is, right? But there was this other level of fear of having to tell and show your parents what you actually made in the class, right? 
Right, that second level, there's this like self-talk that's stirring up. There's this, this fear of talking to your parents. Let's take this a little bit deeper now. Right? Because I want to tap into something that that maybe you thought, maybe you haven't used uh, this language, but maybe you have thought this. If you're a, a church-going person, maybe this thought has crossed your mind. Have you ever wondered if God will give you a report card one day? Right? If God will give you something where, where your behaviors, where your thoughts, where your actions, where your life is given a grade, basically. As good or bad. Like some of them, some of them you will excel in, right? Some of them uh, there may be a needs improvement, right? Some of them may be completely failing. Have you, have you ever thought about this? If so, then I bet there's a little bit of fear there. Right, That same fear that, that we kind of giggled about with the teacher's report card, right? I bet there's a little bit of fear there. Well, here's the question for us to consider. And I think it's an important question. But the question is this. What would God have on a report card? Right? If God gave you a report card at the end of your life, what would he actually grade you on? Would he, would he, would he care about math like my teachers apparently did? Right? Would you get the, 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 the I, I, I mean, here's what I imagine. If it was a report card like I always got, the talk successively would be checked. Because it was on every report card I ever got. I do remember there was one that didn't have it. My first thought wasn't, oh good, I did a good job not talking. My first thought was apparently an oversight on the teacher's part. <laughs> right? Like, she just wasn't thinking when she actually gave it to me, right? What would be on this report card that God was to give us? Because here's the deal, church. Your answer to this question is critically important. As a matter of fact, I think your answer to this question is what will either induce fear or allow you to open yourself up to put the faith of Jesus in there instead and to live by that faith. Let's, let's look at Let's look at Mark chapter 9, verse 30, and see uh, what Jesus is doing here. So verse 30 says this. It says, And they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, he being Jesus, for he was teaching his disciples. And he was saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of man, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. So here's what Jesus is doing. Notice he's teaching his disciples, right? Because we're in this section of what if. What if Jesus really is the Messiah, right? And what he's doing is he's showing them what it means to follow him. And part of what it means to follow Jesus for his disciples is they get the inside scoop on his plan. Right? He's got his disciples with him and he's telling them, guys, guys and, and, and women that were gathered around too, like he's just saying, like, like here's how this is going to play out. I'm going to die. And I'm not going to die of a heart attack. I'm not going to die of a stroke. I'm going to die because people will kill me. But it's okay because I will rise again. Right? Now this information to the disciples was really hard for them to understand. 
it was really hard to let this plan seep into their souls because their anticipation, their expectations of the Messiah, right? Messiah is this, is this Jewish term and it, and it meant, means the Savior of Israel. And their anticipation was that the Savior of Israel would, would, would put the nation of Israel back in its proper place. Because at this point in time, Rome was ruling over the nation of Israel. They were being oppressed by a foreign government, right? And their idea was, was no, just, like, here's the deal. You're supposed to, you're supposed to kick Rome out, right? That's the, what the Messiah is supposed to do. You're supposed to bring peace by this raising up this army. You're supposed to bring peace through, through fighting and through warfare. As a matter of fact, to get a little bit ahead of ourselves, in Mark chapter 15, maybe you remember this, in, 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 when Jesus has gone through the trials before his crucifixion and, and, and he's been beaten and he's bloody, like, I, I, it's right around then that, that he, the, the, the Rome stands him up in front of the Jewish people with another prisoner and gives them the option, you can release one of these men, which one do you want? The other guy's name was Barabbas. Do you remember this? And, and, and in Mark 15, we see the crowd choose Barabbas, and Mark lets us know why. Because in Mark 15, it says that Barabbas was a member of a rebellion and an insurrection. See, Barabbas was doing what they thought a Messiah should do, right? Barabbas had rebelled against Rome, and he was leading an insurrection against Rome. And so they chose him because they wanted to give him a second chance to do it over again. Because obviously he's the Messiah. This is what the Messiah is supposed to do. This guy Jesus just keeps talking about love and sacrifice and death. You see, Barabbas was the the Savior they wanted, but Jesus is the Savior that they needed. And that's what Mark is going to show us. And the disciples didn't know that the plan that Jesus just gave them, even though it wasn't the plan they wanted, it was the plan that they needed. But instead, look what they do. Watch this in verse 32. It says, They didn't understand, uh, but they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Right? So not only did they not understand their current thinking about what Jesus was doing, but their response to what Jesus said was fear. Now, what's interesting about this word fear is there's, there's different words for the word fear in, in Hebrew and in Greek. And, and this word is the word we get phobia from. There's another type of fear where, where you're in awe of what God is doing. And, and personally, I think fear, I think, you know, going from one language to English, you just have to kind of pick the best word. I wish we had a different word for that. Because when you, when you stand in awe of God, fear isn't necessarily there. It's awe, it's, it's, it's awesomeness, it's, it's, it's bigness, right? <clears throat> this word for fear, though, is the word we get the word phobia from. Like it induced a phobia in them. And a phobia, here's what's interesting about a phobia. A phobia is an extreme or irrational fear of or aversion to something, right? For example, phobia, an ongoing fear of something. Anybody Afraid of spiders. Yes, that's called arachnophobia. What do you do when you see a spider? Freak smooth out, right? What do you do when you're walking in the trail and walk into a web that obviously a spider is attached to? 
right? You start flailing like you're on fire, don't you? Arachnophobia. Anybody afraid of snakes? Got a snake phobia? Yes. That's called ophidiophobia for word people out there. It's fun. Anybody know what coulrophobia is? Don't let the name freak confuse you. It is nothing cool about it, right? It is the phobia of clowns. <laughs> and thanks to Claggy the Clown that I saw at a, when I was a full-grown adult at a children's pastor's conference, I now have a slight touch of coulrophobia, right? Clowns kind of freak me out a little bit. Well, the disciples, every time Jesus mentions dying, it induces this phobia in them, right? It induces this fear in them where they want to avoid it, right? They have this aversion to it because this is what we do when there's fear, right? We want to avoid it. Those things that we want to avoid show us the things that we're afraid of. And I don't just mean spiders, right? I I mean like conflict, If you're a people person and you're afraid of disappointing people, you avoid conflict, right? When we're afraid of of, of failure, we, we avoid it. When we're afraid of truly changing our life for the better, we, we pursue comfort and we don't, and we avoid anything that actually causes us to change. When I was doing my, my counseling classes, I think this was Alfred Adler who did this, but he, he talked a lot about the best way to get over fear is to face it, right? That's how you get rid of it. He said a lot of your anxiety, he did a lot of work with anxiety, and he said a lot of work, a, a lot of his work in anxiety showed that if, if the anxiety is centered around a fear, if you face the fear, the anxiety goes away. And, 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 and his ideas, like I said, if it was his, I didn't go back in my counseling notes and, and look at it because y'all can Google it if you want. But... This is true because we watch videos of this. That idea of facing your fear, taken to the extreme, we got to watch these videos of people with uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. And like, like what they would do to face their fears, to lower their anxiety, if they were germaphobes, they would lick dumpsters. You know what? They weren't afraid of germs after that. Because their greatest fear was, if I get germs on me or near me, and I'm not recommending you go lick dumpsters, people, right? Or toilets, they did that too. Right. (laughs) Right. But what they realized is they didn't get sick. They didn't die. And that fear had less power over them because they did the worst thing they could imagine. And they were okay. This idea of facing your fear even even made its way and, and has been part of the business community and leadership. Face your fear. Malcolm Gladwell wrote this book uh, where he used the story of David and Goliath to talk about business principles. And in it, he, he says that the best mindset is to be unafraid, to face your fear. But here's the deal with fear. That's why Mark is going to mention it. For those of us who follow Jesus, and if you don't follow Jesus, I want to tell you up front, this, you need to know this about Jesus, right? Because here's what we're going to see. Jesus won't let us get comfortable in our fear, right? The things that we're afraid of, the things that we try to avoid, Jesus keeps putting them right in front of us, right? Why does he do that? Not because he's mean. He does it because he's a good shepherd. 
And he meets us in that fear. And he helps shepherd us and guide us through that. He leads us through those places so we can confront our fear head on. Well, let's watch the good shepherd do his work with his disciples. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says this. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them. So now he's talking to, to the 12 disciples. He says, what were you discussing on the way? Now, this is what a good shepherd does. He Notice what he does. He asks a question. Right? A good shepherd asks a question to lead to a conversation. He's Jesus. He knows what they were talking about. And he was walking with them. I'm sure he heard them, right? But he starts a conversation. And look at what they say next. Look at what happens next. It says, But they kept silent. For on their way they had argued with one another about who was the, what does it say? Who was the greatest. Right? They were talking about it this way. Jesus told them this. Hey guys, listen, I'm going to die. People are going to kill me, but I'm going to raise again, and it's okay. Like, here's the plan. They didn't understand it. It didn't fit what they were thinking. And they go, yeah, 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 yeah. But when you're the new president of Israel, like, who's going to be your vice president? Right? That's what we want to know. And here's what they did. What they did in discussing is who the greatest is. What they did is they created their own report cards for Jesus. Right? And then they, they put each other up against them. And they said, you know, John is like, hey, I, I, I'm the artist. Me and Jesus, we get each other, right? Like we see eye to eye on a lot of things. This whole, this whole new kingdom thing, there's a lot of feelings going on. I'm all into that. Matthew, you're into numbers. Like, sorry, buddy. Right? And Matthew's like, yeah, I'm into numbers. Right? Like, like just wait till I put this genealogy together. It's going to blow your mind. Right? And they start rating each other about who the greatest is. And I guarantee you, the person talking always was the greatest. Because that's what we do with report cards, right? Right? We, we create report cards where we always get A's and everybody else gets needs improvement and failures, right? Because here's what fear does. Fear causes us to compare, right? It causes us to compare ourselves to, to those around us. It causes us to create our own report card that we measure everyone else against, and y'all, if you've been in the church for a while, you're really good at making your own report cards. You've got scripture passages tied to them, right? And it's just the ones that you're really good at, right? Because what fear does is it causes us to create this system of approval where we get A's and everybody else gets needs improvement, gets failures, Right? But what it allows us to not do is to not deal with the real issues in our life. It doesn't allow us to see those places where we, f- we fail, right? Because we leave those fearful subjects off. What is the question for you as we go into this next section is, is what does fear cause you to drop off your report card? Right? What does fear cause you to continually avoid? For me, working with the counselor, because I always said, yeah, I'm a people person. I just want to make people happy. And I had a counselor look at me and go, no, you don't. You're, you're not afraid of failure. You, you started a church in a recession. Like, you're not afraid of failure. And it's true. Like, like you can ask our staff. I love to start off a conversation with, so I have an idea. 
You know, like, what if? What if we did this? And, and usually the question come up is like, well, what if it doesn't work? What, do we do it again next year? I'm like, I don't, who cares about that? Let's just do it and see what happens, right? And so they affirmed that, that I'm not afraid of failure. But what they said, which I was like, oh, oh, that's true. That's good. It's good to have good counselors in your life. Because what they said is you're not afraid of failure. You're afraid when people call you a failure. That's what you're afraid of. That's why you avoid conflict. That's why it's hard for you to receive feedback. Because what you're hearing is instead of your behavior being off or an area that you need improvement on, what you're hearing is that you are a failure, and so you're avoiding those. So see, I would leave feed. See, on my report card, there wouldn't be any space to leave additional comments. Right? What would be off of your report card? See, look back at the beginning of verse 34, because I love this. The beginning of verse 34, it says, but they kept what? Silent. Jesus asked them a question. They're like, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. We weren't talking about anything. What do you mean? Right? They kept silent. One commentator said the disciples were more interested in peacekeeping than peacemaking. They just wanted to keep the peace by keeping silent. What we know about Jesus is that he's not a peacekeeper. He is a peacemaker, right? Remember Peter a couple of chapters ago when he spoke up. Remember he, Jesus laid out the plan and Jesus rebuked him, right? Do you remember what Jesus called him? He said, get behind me, Satan. Remember that? I find it interesting that Peter kept quiet here. Right? That's called sanctification. He's learning something, right? But what the disciples would do is they wanted to hold the truthful answer in silence instead of letting Jesus speak into it. Because this is what else fear does. It doesn't just cause us to compare. Fear keeps us silent. Right? Fear keeps us silent. When somebody hits that subject that's not on your report card, your mouth just closes. Fear causes us to not speak the truth because we don't want to have to deal with the consequences, right? It causes us to, to, to keep silent because if we speak the truth, we might lose friends over it. Now, you also might gain the right ones, but you might lose friends. You see, Jesus isn't a peacekeeper. He is a peacemaker, and he's going to show them the report card of God. He's going to show them this is what God's looking at in you. Because what I love about Jesus is we talk about love and grace, but, but Jesus still has standards, right? He still has commands. We're still to do something as a church. The deal with the kingdom of God in this what-if section is that Jesus keeps teaching his disciples, yeah, but the thing that you think you should do, flip that over. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Because what he's going to show them is that this report card actually brings peace. Look at verse 35. Verse 35 says this. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, if anyone would be the greatest, he must be the last of all and the servant of all. Now what Jesus does here, it's fascinating because it's going to be important in just a minute. What Jesus does when he says he sits down is he takes the position of a teacher. In, in Jesus' time, when, when teachers would teach, they wouldn't stand up like I do. 
right? That happened later because uh, as we gathered in places, if, if, if a teacher wasn't standing up, you know, everybody's looking around trying to get to the other person. We realized if we can stand up and elevate the speaker, then everyone can see, and that's good. I would much rather be down there sitting down, to be honest with you, but can't. Jesus did. Because that's the position that a, t- a, a teacher would take. They would open up the scriptures and they would sit down. And that meant, that meant listen and be quiet. So that's what Jesus is doing is he's sitting down because he's got something to say. What he's doing them is he's going to show them, listen, what he showed them is that, that if you want to be great, there's two things. Right? That fear is going to cause you to, to ask who the greatest is. And the answer is going to always be you. Right? Well, faith is going to allow you to see greatness in others. Faith is going to allow you to put yourself after them. Because instead of seeing your greatness, you're going to go around and see the greatness in others. John, you're going to look at Matthew and go, dude, I have never seen anybody as great with numbers as you are. I know you're working on this genealogy. I can't wait to see it. Do you know how many people are going to come to have faith in Jesus as their Messiah because of, of who you are? And Matthew's going to look at John and say, dude, like you're going to get all those people I don't even want to be around. Right? Because they start talking about stuff and I don't understand. You talk about visions and all this stuff. I don't get those. I get, I get whatever the Jewish, ancient Jewish versions of an Excel spreadsheet was. That's what Matthew understood. Right? Faith allows you to see the greatness in others. See, and fear causes you to say, who's going to serve me? And faith causes you to ask, who can I serve today? You see, fear competes and faith serves. Fear wants to make you better than someone else, and faith moves you to serve someone else. But who? See, Jesus isn't done teaching because here's what he knows. He knows that if, if left there, right, like if, I, if, if Jesus just said, put yourself last and go serve, our natural inclination, because we're human, is to serve those like us and to be around those like us. Well, look at what Jesus does. Verse 36, he says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, I want to stop right here because here's what Jesus does. Remember, where, where is Jesus? Is he standing or sitting? He's sitting, right? And it says that he took this child. So that means there were kids running around, right? right? And he said, come here, come here, come here. And he took this child, and it says that he took him in his arms. Now, if you're sitting, there's two different ways that you can imagine this. I imagine as we picture this, we probably picture the same thing, right? There's, you could say that Jesus took the child in his arms and did this with him as he was sitting and just held him up. You know, we've seen it in The Lion King. It's fine. Probably not, right? It's much easier, and I think much more accurate, to assume when it says Jesus took him in his arms, that he was sitting down, he put the child in his lap, right? And sat the child down. Now, what is the position of a teacher? Sitting. Trish, I loved what what you shared up there about children being teachers, because that's what Jesus did is he let this child teach the disciples. And this child didn't say a thing. Just the fact that it was a child, Jesus put him in his lap. Now look at what he says, though. Look at what Jesus says. And he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Right? And so what Jesus is doing is, is this new child teacher, what this child is showing them is, is, is to serve people like this, 
right? Because kids, here's the deal with kids. Kids had no honor in society. They had no status, right? They were dependent. They were vulnerable. They were under somebody else's authority. When you draw a poster for who's great, a child would never be on that poster. And yet, Jesus holds this child in his lap and says, this is what greatness is. It's seeing someone like this and serving them. Right now, this would be a great time to cue the slide for Fellowship Kids volunteers, right? But we already did that. But, but, but here's, here's what Jesus is doing. He's letting this child teach us something deeper, right? That faith moves us to serve those that nobody sees. That's the greatness that we see in people. Right? It moves us to serve those that nobody sees. Faith moves us to serve when nobody sees. We're not doing it to be great, right? And faith moves us to serve those that nobody sees because we see the greatness in others. Right? People ignored kids. They were, they were useless. You couldn't use a kid to, to move up into society. If, you were a follower, if you're a follower of Jesus, what Jesus is saying is that, is that we get to notice and serve those that most people don't see. Right? Like, if you're single and you want to know who to marry, watch how they treat the waiter or waitress at the restaurant. Right? Be in the room when they make a phone call to customer service. Like the real person, not the, not the prompts. We can do whatever we want to the prompts. <laughs> the real person, right? Anybody else just go like, agent! Agent! <laughs> right? It's a recording. It's fine. Get it out. Because eventually there's going to be a person there. How do they treat them? Right? How do they treat the assistant, not the president? Because one thing I learned is that assistants rule the world, if you haven't noticed. Right? You get in with the assistant, you are in. Right? Church, do we see who few others see? Do you see them? Do you give them a smile, say a prayer for them, or even start a conversation with them? A few weeks ago, well, probably now about six weeks ago, I was at a funeral of a teenager that passed away. Um, they used to live here. They'd moved to Florida, and they did a service here, and it was really cool. He had some health problems that, that kept him isolated from people, and um, he would be on, in online communities quite a bit, playing video games. He created some online communities of other people that that for various reasons, were kind of housebound, particularly teenagers, and, 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 and he would see them. And his parents talked about how he would see the people that nobody else could see. And, and the dad was saying, you know, I'd look at my credit card and there's all these door dashes to Taco Bell that were all over the nation. And he walked into a center and he's like, what are you doing? He said, they were hungry. So I just sent them door dash. And he'd do Taco Bell. Why? Because that's what teenagers eat. Right? And his parents told this story of one day they were out and they were going to a doctor's appointment. And they, you know, their son was behind them. And to hear them tell the story, they, they turned around and all of a sudden their son was dancing with this homeless guy. And they were like, what in the world is going on? 
they, you know, let him finish, and he caught up with them. He's like, what happened? He said, well, that guy was just sitting there. I didn't have anything to give him, so I asked him what his favorite song was. He told me, so I pulled it up on Spotify, and we started dancing to it. And like, in that simple act, he saw someone that everybody else was walking by. Y'all, that's what the kingdom of God is. That's what serving is. It's seeing those that very few people see. You see, church, if Jesus is our Savior, if Jesus really is the Messiah, then we get to serve those that few others see. And I don't mean starting a ministry. I mean smiling, saying a prayer for them, saying hello, seeing the greatness in them. Like theologians talk about this, that the image of God is, is placed on every human. Right? No matter who they are, no matter what choices they've made, no matter where they are in life, they have the dignity of God in them. Right? And as Jesus followers, we get to see that. Right? We get to make peace with them. We get to smile with them. Maybe even dance as the Lord leads. I know. You're like me. You're like, ah, he probably won't lead that. It's okay. He might. Right? Now let me ask you, church, as Jesus talks about this, would you want to follow a Jesus like this? Would you want to follow a Messiah like this? Would you want to follow a Savior like this that helps you see those who few others see and to love them? Because if so, if you haven't said yes to this Jesus, let me tell you, he's worth it. He really is the good shepherd that meets you in your fear and shepherds you through it. He's worth serving, and he is worth showing you who few others see. And so if you haven't said yes to Jesus, then let today be the day you do that. I mean, like right now, pray, and it's just simply closing your eyes. If you want, you can keep your eyes open, but it's talking to God in a simple conversation. And it's saying that Jesus is my Savior. And I will follow him. And it starts there. Right? And so start today following him and living your life empowered by the Holy Spirit that he will give you. For those of us who have done that, because that's the majority of us. The majority of us here and watching online and, and listening, you have already said yes to Jesus. Yes to giving him authority of your life. Yes to, to letting him shepherd you. Yes to letting him uh, be this connection between the God who loves you and created you. And for you, I have a dangerous prayer for us to pray this week. And if you're inclined, I'm going to show it to you. And if you want, like seriously, like if you don't want to do it, just keep quiet. But if you do, I want us to say this prayer together. Right? And the prayer is this. This week, Jesus, show me who I don't see and show me how to serve them. And so if you want, let's just close today and say that together as a prayer. So if you're willing, let's pray this out loud and together. You ready? So Jesus, show me who I don't see and show me how to serve them. Jesus, only you can open our eyes to people that we don't see. Only you can show us how to serve them. And I pray that you do that in your precious, 
and holy name. Amen.